Welcome back to episode 73 of the Mandarin Blueprint podcast. My name is Phil Crimmins. We have gotten a bunch of messages this week asking us about how things are going with the coronavirus in China, as Luke and I are in China. We're in uh, Sichuan province in the city of Chengdu, which is certainly not the epicenter of this particular epidemic. However, uh, we have gotten a lot of messages this week, so I thought I would just address it right up front. We had a message from uh, Dev Chen where he said, Hello, Luke and Phil, and to everyone at Mandarin Blueprint. Belated Happy Chinese New Year. These are obviously trying times, and so I wish everyone safety for this new year. Thanks for all the hard work you do creating such a great product. Best regards, Dev Chen. And so... Uh, I just thought I would mention that, you know, it's going to take more than this type of epidemic to keep us down, but it's certainly, uh, it's a very, you know, kind of trying time. I would agree with that. It's like everybody's kind of on alert uh, in Chengdu at the moment. Uh, in Sichuan, there have been, as of January 29th, uh, 2020, uh, 90 cases. Nobody has passed away in Chengdu yet. Um, hopefully that will remain the case. And... But nonetheless, though, there are a lot of restrictions that are going on. It's kind of hard to uh, put into a very clear understanding of how things are going because it all sort of started to happen right around Spring Festival. And so things shut down around Spring Festival for a large majority of restaurants and, and stores. They shut down because everybody goes home to see their family. So it's hard to tell how much of the sort of eeriness there is outside in the city is a result of just the natural exodus from the city that happens every year during Spring Festival and how much of it is to do with the uh, coronavirus outbreak. But um, the situation is interesting. You know, for example, uh, Starbucks and McDonald's have shut down operations, like some American companies, Disney English, shut down their op operations. A lot of schools are going to be, ex they're extending the holiday uh, so the kids won't come back. Seems like a reasonable precaution. All sort of group-based events have been canceled. They were canceled quite early uh, on in this process. And then later, sort of bars and uh, social gathering places were asked to close. Uh, the most recent one was uh, yesterday, the... Uh, there's a citywide sort of expectation that only people who live in a particular apartment complex go into that apartment complex. So uh, theoretically, you know, if you wanted to invite a friend over, you're going to have to wait uh, to do that because uh, they're only letting residents into certain apartment complexes. And despite there only being 90 cases in Sichuan at the moment, they're taking these precautions because they want to make sure that the virus doesn't spread further. And so uh, as far as I can tell, they're doing a good job. Obviously, everybody's somewhat skeptical of the information that's coming out, uh, but certainly people are taking it very seriously. Everyone outside is wearing masks. Um, people are being told to wash their hands as much as possible. Uh, and so my sense of it is that uh, this is just a bit of a trying time and we'll get through it no problem. And uh, as usual, we'll keep going with the Mandarin Blueprint content. And luckily, because Luke and I work uh, from our computers and uh, just all we need is an internet connection, we can keep up with the Mandarin Blueprint tasks, 
tasks at hand. Uh, that said, though, I wanted to read a little excerpt from an article that I read that I found to be quite moving. Uh, it's quite a long article, and I've linked to the article below, but there was just two passages in it that I thought were interesting, one from near the beginning and one from near the end. This article was written in a on a WeChat account called Xiang Tankao, which uh, basically means, like, uh, reference to the West, and it's a article about how foreigners have responded to the coronavirus outbreak in different countries and how they're sort of different all around. And uh, I thought it was a very interesting article. Different countries have had different responses, but almost all of them have recognized the sort of humanitarian crisis that this is. This transcends borders. And uh, while, you know, countries may be a useful concept for us to think about, a virus does not know anything about human conceptual frameworks like a country it just sees a, a human as a potential host and so uh, a lot of the response internationally to this towards chinese people and uh towards the uh situation are very much one of a united humanity that is to say that nobody is seeing this really as um china's problem it's the world's problem it's it's humans that need to deal with this uh, threat together, and we need to do it in a unified way. So I'll, I'll start off with this article, and it's in Chinese, so I'll read the Chinese, and I'll do my best to translate on the fly. So it starts off, uh, this first passage starts off, 对很多人来讲,这个春节也是生动的一堂教育课,看清楚了很多过去不理解或者不知道的事。So this means, um, according to a lot of people, this spring festival has actually become like a an educational class where we can see clearly many things that we did not understand or did not know from the past. Next line. 伴随着恐惧,忧伤,焦虑,愤怒等各种情绪. So this is saying... And along with this sort of class, this, this education that we're all receiving on this uh, spring festival, along with that comes fear, uh, worry, uh, anxiety, anger, and these types of emotions. I do, I do quite like how Chinese uh, expresses emotion uh, in their, their words. It's always very clear. goes on to say, 中国人长久以来迷恋新的事物。so this line means Chinese people uh, for a long time have been fascinated by new things. Xin de shu, that he puts uh, xin in quotes. Yi wei, xin de, zhou shi hao de. So yi wei, this is a, a word that comes up in, I believe, level 21 of the Mandarin Blueprint course. This means to think mistakenly. So to think mistakenly that new means good. Xin de. So, like, that's a way of saying the new, it, it just, if it's new, it's good. Next line. So that just means, uh, think mistakenly that the new year is, of course, going to be better than the previous year. Think mistakenly that the new cell phone is going to be better to use. So that means the new version is going to be uh, better 
and clearer. We think mistakenly. 以为新的男朋友更靠谱 Think mistakenly that the new boyfriend is going to be more reliable. 其实并不尽然 This is a good little line here. So 其实 means in reality, actually, 并不尽然 So 并不 just means as it turns out. Like when you say 并不是 you're saying like it、uh, sort of against expectations. It's not so 并不尽然 Means actually not entirely. So it's like he's making all these points. He's saying、uh, we think that new means good. We think that this year is going to be better than last year. We think that the new phone is going to be better to use. We we think that the、uh, new version is going to be more、uh, open and clear. We think that the new boyfriend is going to be more reliable. But actually, it's not totally the case. That's what. Butinran、uh, means so. Bing butinran is a way of saying like actually not in its entirety, right? 比如这个新型冠状病毒 So that's the that sentence means. For example, this new coronavirus. That's how you say coronavirus in Chinese. 新型冠状病毒 So 病毒 is the main point of that. It means virus, and 新、uh, 型 is like new or novel, and then 冠状 Is the corona side of that? Continuing, 令最为喜庆的中国新年蒙上一层新的阴霾 So this line is、uh, quite poetic. It basically says, "It the new virus has made our most celebrated Chinese New Year 蒙上 which means like to be clouded by a layer of." In my, which is like sort of a dark haze or a dark cloud, it's a quite a poetic way to say that. And so this opening statement, I thought was quite profound because it's essentially recognizing that hey, you know, we need to reflect because sometimes as Chinese people were very optimistic, and Chinese people are so optimistic. That's one of the reasons why reading this was very.、Um, Interesting because, of course, of course, Chinese people believe that next year is going to be better than this year. Super optimistic people. I mean, that's the way they say、uh, tomorrow. They say 明天 meaning bright day, or next year is 明年 bright year is the next year. And so they have a very optimistic attitude naturally. And so this sort of self-reflection of saying, well, hey, maybe we're a little bit too quick to, you know, want to get the new thing happening. Sometimes we might lose sight of.、Uh, What's really important, and then if we're too, if we lose sight too much, sometimes something can come out of that that's a new thing we don't want. And then the article goes on at this point to go into depth about all the different responses from the different、uh, countries of the world and different、uh, world leaders and、uh, people of that nature. And then it ends with a kind of conclusion that I thought was、uh, very useful to remember. So he says. 我总觉得 I always feel, 人要不断超越自己的天然局限 People ought to continuously overcome our natural limits. 不管是湖北人、河南人 So that means、uh, no matter if you're a person from Hubei province or Henan province, where the most of the、uh, virus is, 不管是武汉人 Huanggangren, so that's、uh, Wuhan. Of course, is the very epicenter of the virus,、um, and、uh, Huanggang is also another area nearby.
And uh, again, it's just bu guan. So no matter if you're, so these two lines are basically sort of a rhetorical way of saying, no matter if you're a person from Hubei, if you're a person from Henan, no matter if you're a person from Wuhan or a person from Huanggang, and then so to take it deeper, to to progress it even farther, so no matter if you're a Chinese person or a foreigner, you're a person first. So that line means if you're a person, you need to have uh, dignity. Uh, you need to have your rights and, in- and interests. And you need to be treated with a- a- an equality of respect. So I just thought that was a really uh, beautiful way of getting across that many of our human concepts like countries and uh, and our differences somehow seem to melt away a little bit when you have something like a virus that makes no distinctions like that. And uh, we are people first. And then if you want to categorize this into our countries, that's fine. But we should not remember, we should not forget that our mother category is person. Our biological differences are certainly uh, very small in relationship when we compare them to our ethnic differences. So, um, very important to kind of remember that and I appreciated reading that article. It was one of those articles that made me very happy that I spent all the time to learn Chinese because uh, it's very profound how well the Chinese language can express certain quite deep philosophical thoughts. So let's move on into some of the content of today's podcast. First, we're going to talk about the grammar tag GW helper finished 助词 so this is the grammar tag that explains how to use le, specifically when it refers to a finished action. So in level 14 of the Mandarin Blueprint course, you'll get to the sentence, 我早上骂了我的儿子. And this sentence is about the 10th or 11th time that you've seen le, when it is functioning as a finished action. So... Le has the umbrella usage of being a change indicator, and then nested in that is that it can be a completed action, and it's most often used as a completed action, but sometimes, but generally speaking, it just means that a change has occurred, and it could be a change that you're speculating about in the future, which is why you shouldn't think of le as being past tense. That's something that people think of a lot. It's often past tense. But because you could be speculating about the future, it's not necessarily past tense. It just means that a change has occurred. And the most common type of change is that an action is completed. So, for example, 我早上骂了我的儿子. The action of scolding, 骂, or, um, you know, the, the, that action has been completed. It has happened. And so, therefore, we could say scolded. Um, but suppose we didn't have the look. There. Suppose it just said, 我早上骂我的儿子. Well, that would just mean that's just something you do. <laughs> I scold my son every morning. This is something I always do. And so it's just sort of a comment on things that you do. But when you say, 我早上骂了我的儿子, you're indicating that the 
that specific action has happened or is completed. That specific action is completed and it's one time. You're not referring to a habitual action. So uh, the next example sentence here is This uh, would have come up a few lessons before. Just means I threw up. Now I could just say but that would just mean I throw up. <laughs> like I just, that's just the state of being. I just walk around throwing up all the time. So by saying it's indicating that it happened in an instance and it's over, it's completed, right? The final example here that should make it even clearer is 我早上吃了面, So this is an example where you might say 我早上吃面, because maybe you always have noodles in the morning, it's possible. So by saying 我早上吃了面, what we're getting across here is that you're talking about a specific instance where you ate noodles in the morning. And unless you give further context, the assumption is that it was this morning. So, uh, So if you took away the le in either of the parts of this sentence, it would just mean this is what I do in the morning all the time. By adding the le, you're specifying that it is a specific action that has completed and it was that time. So... Hopefully that makes it all very clear how to use the tag GW helper finished 肚子了完成 完成 is the Chinese word for finish. And so if you want to see more sentences that have 了 functioning in this way, go to your Anki sidebar, find the tag GW helper finished 肚子了完成 and you will see all the sentences that have it functioning that way. Next, we have a question that came in from the Mandarin Blueprint community, or a comment, really, from Alina. And she leaves us a lot of comments. She leaves us a lot of stories. And she's addressing something that I think is worth addressing uh, at the beginning of the podcast here. She says, Hello there, Luke and Phil. I just heard on the podcast about the big amount of scripts and props you get as comments in the course. As for myself, I just wanted to say, I am not expecting that every one of my comments to be considered in the podcast uh by you. Like, she's not expecting us to answer every time. Many times I've got helping ideas from the comments of other people, and many times there were characters that initially seemed impossible for me to imagine a script, and those times I would have loved to have some ideas from other people in the course. So these are the main reasons I share, (laughs) maybe too much, from my own scripts. I many times think, maybe this short story of mine will help some other people Uh, which are just feeling stuck on this particular character. And maybe this other person will someday share something that will help me not to remain stuck at a certain point in the course. So Alina is essentially saying, I'll pay it forward and you don't have to answer in the podcast. And so here's our thinking around this. So, of course, we want to encourage people to share their scenes for this very reason, of course, to help other people. And we always encourage people to do that. But also, once you get past phase two, particularly, uh, it very well could end up becoming a uh, video in the course because, sure, people should look at, at the comments, but they might not. And so if we take the comment and that's a shared movie scene, for example, in, say, phase four, and there's no video for that character currently, we'll talk about it in the podcast, and then we'll turn that into a video in the course, which can be, you know, it, it's an even more powerful way of getting uh, our... Uh, client feedback into the eyes and ears of future clients. So um, we will, generally speaking, always respond. But one of the things that we've noticed is that a lot of people will leave comments on uh, 
lessons that already have a video. And sometimes with those, we will leave it to people reading the comments and we won't necessarily address it on the podcast because it gets to be a little bit much and it's not going to end up being course content because there's already a video there. So anything in the first two phases has videos for every single lesson. So uh, as an example, we've been getting a lot of uh, submissions from uh, Kika and Kika has been leaving all of her submissions so far in the first two phases of the course, which is great. And we're very happy that she's doing that because it's going to help people if they're stuck uh, or they don't like what we said in the video or what we said in the video isn't clear for them. They can look in the comments and find Kika's many shared scenes. But as a result of that, until she gets beyond phase two, we're probably not going to share all 10 of the scenes that she shared that week in the podcast because it won't necessarily turn into course content directly. So for that type of thing, we want to make sure that we're not, um, we just want to make sure that we're not boring you on the podcast by having like, you know, 10 different, um, uh, scenes that aren't even going to end up becoming course content. We always want to optimize how much we can do with this, uh, with any content we make really. So, uh, we will usually respond to everybody, but every now and then if it's like too many things are happening in the first two phases of the course, we might skip them on the podcast. So uh, hopefully you guys don't mind. This next con uh, comment from the Mandarin Blue community, this is one of those things where I have a weird feeling like we already answered this question uh, several uh, weeks ago on the podcast, but it appears to be a new post and maybe I'm just going crazy. So it's possible I'm just there was a similar comment. But anyway, this is from Camille in the community. She says, hello, I'm reading other people's introductions and everybody seems to have a good, serious reason to want to learn Mandarin. And I'm afraid I don't have any. Well, maybe you'll get a laugh when you hear how I ended up here. I've always liked languages and the whole process of learning to read, write, and speak. I know a few European languages, but I never learned anything from outside the Western sphere. I realized I was really craving the challenge when I started taking other languages uh, talking other languages in my dreams. Oh, that's a great phenomenon. When that happens, it feels really cool. So I started thinking that I could start something new on top of my busy science student schedule just to put my mind to something else. Why Mandarin? Here's the crazy part. So I met a really cute guy who studied Chinese in university and taught English in Beijing for a while. He lives far away at the moment, and we won't be together before at least another six months. We're constantly talking about our love of languages, but he'd never expect me to be able to share in his passion for Mandarin. I want to learn in secret while we're living apart and then knock his socks off. How far do you think I can get? And will you come? Uh, will you help me find the best plan slash prank setting to reveal my new skill when the time will come? Anyway, I'm absolutely loving it so far. Luke is a great teacher. He sure is. So um, I just, it's weird. I just have this feeling like I've heard this before, but I've, maybe it was just somebody else who was learning Mandarin because they uh, met a, a cute guy. But I think that it's funny how uh, the motivation that derives from uh, romantic relationships or at least... Um, potential romance is something that is quite strong. It's a quite strong uh, sort of uh, motivator when it comes to what's going to make you get up and learn Mandarin as opposed to Spanish or something like that. And then uh, as for uh, how far you can get in six months, you can get really far. I mean, it, I, you said you're a busy science student, so you probably can't put in three hours a day. So maybe you could get through the foundation course in six months. Uh, that's definitely possible if you put in maybe an hour a day. Um, that's definitely possible. And then you'll know quite a lot. You'll know 80% of Chinese by frequency at that point. Um, 
I'd say you probably wouldn't be able to get through the intermediate course as well, because the intermediate course is pretty much just as long as the foundation course. And of course, uh, if you're only have an hour a day, you might not be able to do that in six months, but you could probably get through. Now, as for the best plan or prank setting, I mean, maybe go somewhere in Chinatown. Uh, I don't know if you live near a Chinatown, uh, but if you're in a city that has a Chinatown, you could go to a Chinatown, to a Chinese restaurant or something, and then suddenly speak to the waiter. Uh, that could be kind of interesting. Um, as for an, anything else, I don't know. I'm not much of a prankster, so I, I would have to think about it more. But I think that's that's a good one to go to Chinatown and take it um, take take them to a place where you can speak Chinese directly to a Chinese person. That's, uh, that's pretty cool. Next, we have Michael Rochford on new vocabulary unlocked for Tao Yen. His question is, what is the purpose of Tai in Wuhan Tao Yen, Tai Chao Da Di Fang? Is it meant, uh, does, it, does it mean I really hate two noisy places? Or is it just implied? Would Wuhan Tao Yen, Chao Da Di Fang, still be correct? Uh, yes, the sentence is uh, correct, but the by adding tai, you're just emphasizing that, you know, it's not necessarily that if a, a place is somewhat noisy, it'll bother you, but it, it, there's some degree at which it will bother you too much. So maybe you don't mind going into a restaurant where people are talking a little bit loudly, but if you're in a big uh, crowd of people and it's really noisy, then you've kind of gone over your limit. So by adding the tai, which means two, T-O-O, uh, then you're essentially emphasizing that particular point, that it's possible that to be in a noisy place, it doesn't bother you, but at some point it's going to be too much. So that's all. It's pretty simple uh, emphasis, difference of degree, just a difference of degree there. Next, we have Howard So on the Bonus language learning tripod attentiveness lesson in the pronunciation mastery. So silly question, does Anki actually test your pronunciation? I thought that saying the word out loud would get picked up by Anki, and if it matches, it tells you if you're right. Been trying to say the words out loud for a while, but nothing happened, so I guess not though. Can anyone confirm? And if it doesn't, at least I got lots of practice saying ba in first tone. <laughs> So yeah, that's not a silly question, Howard. It's understandable to think there might be that technology in place. But unfortunately, no, Anki does not have a microphone that picks up what you're saying and then uh, judges it versus real Chinese. That would be great, but I don't think the technology is quite there yet uh, for an AI to do that. But you're going to need a person to do that. Now, there's a couple of uh, sources that you could use to get people to check your pronunciation. Now, for what it's worth, your own ear listening to the audio versus you saying it and following the principles that Luke's ta Luke talks about in the pronunciation mastery is pretty darn good. That's going to get you really close. However, uh, you do sort of need to have somebody occasionally check your pronunciation and the way you can do, and that's just because your head, your voice sounds a little bit different in your own head than it does uh, outside of your own head. And there's a couple of things you can do. One, you can, uh, record your own voice. And you can do this in Anki, in Browse. There's a, an option to record, which is the F5 key, by the way, is a shortcut. And then you could record your own voice and listen back to it if you wanted to. Uh, secondly, you can get a tutor on tutormandarin.com or italki to occasionally just check your pronunciation. You wouldn't have to do this a lot. You could do it a few times and it wouldn't be too expensive. Uh, or you could... Um, use a service 
that um, you know it used to be called Y Y Chinese, but uh, I think it might be a new service now. But Y Chinese for sure, if you search that in Google, you'll at least find either that or what it became. But it's a service where you can actually uh, record yourself, send them the file, and then they'll uh, critique it uh, for you and tell you whether or not you're getting it right. And so that's another way you can test your pronunciation to get objective feedback. That said, though, I do not think that this is an absolute requirement because, uh, like I said, checking it yourself is actually not as bad as you might think it would be because you've got the recording, you've got the pronunciation principles that Luke talked about, so you should be fine. Next, we have uh, Yasmin on the Language Learning Tripod Part 3, Time. And she says, first, just wanted to say I'm really enjoying this course and I think you two have done a brilliant job in describing the tones, tongue positions, etc. Second, I wanted to say that I really appreciated this video because I am moving at a very slow pace, but I'm still moving forward. I'm one of those quote-unquote busy people. I'm working on my master's degree and currently have two jobs. That's pretty busy. <laughs> but I always make sure to fit in some Chinese learning, even if it's only for 30 minutes. It definitely helps having a goal and being motivated. If you're doing it half-hearted, then you're more likely to give up. Immersion is also very helpful. I try to watch an episode of a Chinese drama, usually one set in ancient China, I'm a sucker for period dramas, dramas, daily, and I've been listening to Chinese music when I go to the gym or run. It's really been beneficial in recognizing the different tones. I also watched the Spring Gala this morning, and though I understood like 7% of what they were saying, I was aware of the tone changes in the language throughout the show. Also, wouldn't have known about the gala if I hadn't been listening to your podcasts on my drive to school and work. So cheers for that. <laughs> Great. Point of this long comment was to say that, yes, even if you have a ton of things going on, if you truly want to learn, then there will be time in the day. Where there's a will, there's a way. Also, it helps that you two are fantastic to learn from, so thank you very much for all you have done and continue to do. Well, I appreciate that, uh, Yasmin, and you're doing an awesome job because you're finding a way to fit Chinese exposure into your busy life. I mean, great job with the Chinese music at the gym. I mean, it's just a simple thing you can do that's not that hard and fits into the thing you're already doing. So it's found time. And then you can have a Chinese uh, movie on in the background and that just, you know, it doesn't have to be completely comprehended. It's not the point when you're trying to get the immersion. It's like, was there anything? That 7% that you understood of the Spring Festival Gala is infinitely more than 0% because you didn't have it on. So, yes, you want to get to comprehensible input to the point where you maybe have 98% comprehension, like extensive reading. That's, of course, a, a long-term goal. But in the meantime, does that mean that 7% is no good at all because it's not 98%? No, it's better than 0%. Like, it's just, you always have to remember that. And it sounds like you've really got that on lockdown. And uh, that's the attitude, folks. Be like Yasmin. That's awesome. Next, we have a couple of questions from Dev Chen on just uh, so some grammar questions in the new vocabulary unlocked for Menkol. And so he has two questions here with two different answers. So the first one, uh, he says, which means, uh, hi, everyone. Uh, that's, I have a question. And so he compares two sentences. So that means, what's the difference between these two sentences? And um, so, and then he wishes us a happy new year. So these two sentences, the first one, 停了台车, 
is perfectly fine grammatically, no problem. It just means there's a uh, a a car parked at the entrance now. The l indicates that it wasn't there before, but now there is a car parked of some, uh, there's a vehicle. It says Taichua, so it could be a car, could be a, a, a e-bike. Nothing wrong with that sentence. The next sentence, Taichua, this is not a correct sentence. And the reason why is because the entrance is a location. And so you can say a location and say something about the location that's changed. So you set up the sentence by saying And that's your, your subject of the sentence. It's the entrance. And then is saying, oh, there's a car park there now. And if you start off by making the subject of the sentence, then you don't necessarily have to use the preposition zai. But if you're going to say you need to say if it's going to be the subject of the sentence is the and you could say but usually when it's the subject of the sentence, you'll say the um, number. You'll say like, you know, liang tai uh, you won't just say tai You can omit the uh, measure or the number when you're talking about one, but it's not usually when it's the subject. So, if you're going to make the subject e tai you have to say ting zai Ting zai. You have to put the zai because it's the subject is the car at that point. So it's not. Or the or the um, e-bike. So let's just call it an e-bike. The subject is the e-bike. So uh, if that's the case, then it need you need to make a, uh, a a statement about where it is. But if the subject is the entrance, then you don't necessarily have to say die. So that's hopefully answers that question. Next, Dev asks about the he asks about a sentence and he asks about a comparison to another possibility. So the sentence from the course is ren which means there are a few people I don't know at the entrance that I don't, I'm not acquainted with at the entrance. And he says, could you say, And so in order to answer this question, we need to consider the structure of the sentence and what the difference might be within that structure. So the basic structure of the sentence, the host does what guest or the subject verb object way of looking at the sentence. In, in other words, if we were to simplify the sentence, it would be The entrance has person, right? Now, everything else in the sentence is modifying person, ren. So what kind of person? Well, Well, so it's not even one person, it's a few people. So That's also a good sentence with one, what's called a dingyu. Dingyu modifies either the host or the guest, either the subject or the object. So in this case, it's the object, it's the guest. So jiga is modifying ren. It's saying there are a few people. It's not just menkou yo ren, it's menkou yo jiga ren, right? But there's actually two two types of, and this is what's called a duoxiang dingyu. You could have several different descriptors of the object of the sentence or several different descriptors of the subject of the sentence. And when you have more than one, it's called a duoxiang dingyu. Now, uh, 
The difference between these two sentences is the order of the two dingyu, the two types of descriptions of zhen. So in our original sentence, it's menkou. Yo so the first one is ge, and the second one is right? So the people are both a few and unknown or unacquainted with. And he says, could you say the the opposite order? And the difference is just which of the two descriptions are you emphasizing? The one that comes first is a little bit more emphasized. So, is you're saying there's there's a few of them. That's the main point. There's a few of the people I don't I'm unacquainted with. But if you say your emphasis is that you don't know them. So the difference might be the con contextual difference might be that you're really trying, maybe you're skeptical in the second sentence. You're like, I don't know these guys. So that's the point that I want to make more than anything. But in the first sentence, it's more like you maybe don't, it's not a concern to you that you're unacquainted with them, but you just want to get across that there's a few, right? So you put ziga first. It's just a slight emphasis change. That's all that it is. And so when you have more than one description of an object, in this case, zhen, you want to put the one that you want to emphasize first. So that's how that works. And... You know, it's way too overanalyzed when you think of it like that, but it is sort of the true answer for it. So uh, you can be, keep that in mind in the future, but don't worry about it too much. As usual, it's uh, it's easy to overthink. Next, we have a question or, well, it's actually a, a more of a comment and there might be uh, some questions within it from Rick. He says, I think it, it is in the Fluent Forever Japanese deck that Gabriel Weiner provides that when testing the components, each Anki note also has a card that asks for the stroke order. Although it's also argued that learning the strokes is not important, one, everyone types now, even Chinese people are forgetting how to write, and two, who cares if you do the strokes in the wrong order if you're comfortable with that the final image is correct? So this is an interesting point. Now, I certainly don't think that stroke order is the most important aspect of learning characters. Uh, however, there is one area where it does kind of matter, and that's in uh, using stroke order to text typing. So usually you can use pinyin to type, but occasionally you're going to see a character out in the world that you don't know the pinyin for because you haven't learned it yet. And so this still happens to me every now and then. I mean, not very often anymore, but it still happens sometimes because there are, you know, 50,000 Chinese characters. Many of them are super rare and not worth spending time learning. So when you see them out in the wild, you go, oh, I see that character, but I'm not exactly sure how it's pronounced in pinyin, so I can't easily look it up, right? And so as a result, you have to um, write it in. And if you don't have the proper stroke order, the AI that recognizes what character you're writing will get it wrong. So that's the only thing. But the thing about that, though, is that if you see a character out in the world and you've got Plico, and it's got that uh, character recognition software in it, you can just hold your camera up to the character and it'll recognize it. So even that, so stroke order isn't really all that important. It is important to make sure you know the components of the character. And if you know the components of the character, you should be able to get the stroke order correct because very rarely is a simple component uh, 
very rarely does a simple component have complicated stroke order. So uh, I, it's mostly not going to be a problem, but, you know, uh, these the points that Rick's making here are definitely uh, valid. Okay, another one from Rick in uh, the on the uh, video bonus, the Chinese learning unique problem and how to fix it. David Moser says here that even with 2,000 plus hanzi, he still struggled to read a newspaper because of frequent uncommon characters and hasn't ever read a Chinese novel. And he uh, links to a pinyin.info link here. So can the average Chinese person on the street actually read a newspaper? By the way, my theory about all those cram schools across Asia is because the writing is so complicated, so the kids have to put in so much extra time to learn to read and write. Apparently, kids in Finland and Italy, two countries with fairly simple spelling rules, which are almost completely phonetic, learn to read much faster than kids in France and England, etc. I think he's referring to the uh, the extra time that, that a lot of Chinese kids will send in, spend in school school. So yeah, I think the average Chinese person knows, well, certainly 2,000 plus Hanzi is not quite enough. I mean, if you know 2,000, you know probably 92% of the language by frequency, but not knowing 8% of the characters you see is certainly enough that reading a newspaper would be frustrating. Now you get to 3,000, you're getting closer to, um, 99.1% frequency and 99.1% frequency looking at a newspaper will have characters you don't know. It's just that there are so many that you do that you can usually figure out the contextually what the missing character means. Because if you understand all the characters surrounding it and all the words and all the contextual linking between the sentences and paragraphs, then a, an unknown character is less of a problem. It's just sort of like, well, you have so many clues as to what it means. Um, and so I would uh, argue that 3,000 characters is enough. The average Chinese person probably knows, I mean, it's, again, it's like, are they educated? Are they from the uh, agricultural areas of the country? Are they from the cities? Um, and all of that. But the average educated Chinese person probably knows like 8,000 characters, but most of them are unnecessary to know. And even if you did know them, context, or sorry, even if you don't know the extra 5,000, the context of the 3,000 you do know is uh, almost definitely um, enough to figure out the ones that you don't. So, because that's how the Pareto principle works. If you know 99.17% of the language, that means the remaining 5,000 characters out of 8,000. So you know 3,000, there's 8,000 the average Chinese person knows. Those extra 5,000 that they know don't even make up 0.8% of the language. It's like, you know, it's such a law of diminishing returns when it comes to anything over 3,000. Next, we have a comment from Tarek on the fake eye and pinion video from Pronunciation Mastery. He says, I have started the course from Pronunciation Mastery. I already can speak a bit of Mandarin as I lived in China for two years, but after this video, I have had a light bulb moment of realization uh, and can see how well this course has been unpacked. Thanks very much to the teachers. Well, delighted to hear that, Tarek. Nothing makes me uh, more thrilled than finding out that somebody who has already put in some time uh, used our course and then felt like they had a, they realize their mistakes and can fix them because that's the same thing that sort of happened to me and, and happened to Luke to some degree is like we were kind of functioning in the world 
with incorrect ideas about how to learn Chinese. And then when we realized, oh, we were actually misunderstanding a certain situation or misunderstanding a certain concept, we were able to fix it. So glad to hear that that's the case for you. And um, that's fantastic. Next, we have Tom on pick a prop for Mu. Uh, he says, this isn't a prop suggestion, but I wanted to say that one of the most helpful things I've found with this method is that it really easily lets me differentiate between similar looking component characters. When I was just trying to rote learn Chinese characters, I'd often get zhi and mu mixed up when they appeared as components in other characters. But my props for them are totally different, so that literally never happens anymore. Well, that's delightful to hear. It's also another yet another argument for why mnemonics are the most amazing way of memorizing any new facts, because, yes, there are very similar-looking squiggles on a page, but when you... Imagine them as a glowing sun for and as uh, uh, Mike from Monsters uh, Inc. in uh, for Mu. Then they're just totally different objects, and there's no difficulty distinguishing distinguishing them whatsoever. And as a result, you've turned something that was previously similar into very distinct, disparate facts that your brain can quickly make uh, into something that is memorable. And that's, you know, it's just a glorious thing that our brains are able to do this. And it's a shame that more people don't use this in day-to-day -day life. But hey, you guys are all becoming experts at it. So before we get into the movie scene shares, just some course updates, a reminder that the course expansion is now complete. And so uh, if you haven't checked that out yet, I mean, well, you'll get to it eventually. But if you are one of those people who's further along and you haven't uh, gotten into it, check it out. It's coming, it's coming up uh, as you continue to hit next lesson. And there are now 1,531 characters, 4,000 plus words, loads and loads of sentences. And so the next project is going to be to continue with these grammar lessons, plan them out a bit more, and we'll probably do more than one on each week's podcast coming up soon. But we're still making sure that we're structuring them properly. We're going to turn them into blog posts. We're going to turn them into uh, you know, Pinterest posts and Instagram posts, social media and all that good stuff. And so, uh, you know... By the way, guys, this is sort of a general thing. Um, we can always use your help when it comes to sharing content that you like uh, on various platforms. Uh, whether you, If you have a website where you can link to our website, it's super helpful. Uh, if you can share a blog post we made or a podcast or a YouTube video or a Facebook video, uh, share it around. It's hugely helpful to us, and uh, it's such an easy thing to do. So if you happen to see something you like uh, that we've made and you want to share it, that's always a big help. You know, we've gained uh, a following on the various social media platforms, and we've, um, you know, we continue to make blog posts and things like that. So anytime you see something you like, just send it, send it around. It's hugely helpful to us. All right, so let's move on to some movie scene shares. First, we have a. A longtime Mandarin Blueprint supporter, Chad Wrestler, on make a movie for shi, which means to try. Location, backyard of my childhood home, actor Sean Connery. Props, megaphone, eye beam, and an arrow. I'm hanging out in my childhood home watching a James Bond movie starring Roger Moore when I hear Sean Connery yelling for me to come, in, come out to the backyard. <laughs> I love this already. I go out and I see him next to an eye beam he is put in my yard with an arrow leaning in, leaning on it. He's also holding a bow, so I'm not sure what's up. 
I, I walk over and he tells me to shoot the arrow into a target he has set up. I tell him that I don't know how to shoot a bow and arrow. Suddenly, through the megaphone, he yells at me, just try. I tell him I can't because I've never done it. He continues to stand there, yelling at me to just try through the megaphone. I pick up the arrow and stab him through the heart so he shuts up, and I finish watching my, watching my Bond movie. First of all, I love that it's uh, a Roger Moore <laughs> Bond movie right from the beginning, and then Sean Connery bothers you. Um, you know, this certainly strikes me as um, uh, okay scene. You know, the, the just try is the main thing, and sure, it's kind of like, the emotions that you feel in it are like, I don't want to, I don't want to. And he's just like, come on, you just try. You could probably get that emotional memory locked in there. Um, my initial thought with this was to uh, think of something from your life where there's there was an actual moment of trying or maybe from media. Like one of the things that pops right in my head when I think of try is a scene from the movie Hook where uh, a very classic uh, Spielberg movie, Dustin Hoffman, Robin Williams, and there's a scene where uh, Peter Pan, Robin Williams' character, hasn't turned back into Peter Pan yet. He's still Peter Banning, and but he's on Captain Hook's ship, and he's trying to reach for his kids, but he's afraid of heights, uh, you know, which is supposed to be ironic since he's Peter Pan and should be able to fly. And he's trying to reach for his kids. He's trying. And I remember at the moment of the story where his son, Jack, is uh, upset with his father and he's talking to Captain Hook, he just keeps saying, like, he was right there and he didn't even try. He didn't even try. He was right there. And so my initial thought is, like, that was such a strong association that I thought of that immediately when I thought of the word try. I thought, okay, maybe you could reenact that. Because what strikes me about this scene that might be a little bit not strong enough is that the only major indication of try here is just him saying it, which is kind of not exactly the point. We need to get something that's like a little bit, I mean, sure, you can use facial expressions to be like, I don't want to, and then you're like, he's like, come on, just try. You could probably get it across and you'll probably remember, but it's just worth maybe trying to get something in there that's a little bit more of a cultural trope or a memory that you can uh, reenact in the scene. Still, though, awesome scene, all things considered. Next, we have Alina on Make a Movie for Doll. So this is uh, for a walk. The props are a crucifix, Arnold Schwarzenegger with a big pink rocket launcher. Um, yeah, nice. And then uh, the actor is Zero Kiryu, character from Vampire Night Anime. All right. Script. Zero Kiryu in the living room of my OU location... He is walking in circles with his huge crucifix weapon in his hand, thinking about how to save Yuki, guest actor from the same anime story. They're always paired together, fair enough. Arnold Schwarzenegger comes in with a big, big pink rocket launcher on his shoulder, determined to exterminate all the vampires in the world. So he launches some rockets towards Zero Kiryu, but I can't die before saving Yuki, says Zero Kiryu. So he blocks the rockets with his huge crucifix weapon, then jumps in the air and hits Arnold Schwarzenegger from above, pinning him on the ground with the crucifix. That's a good positioning thing there. We got the crucifix above Arnold Schwarzenegger with the rocket launcher. Then he begins to walk again in circles around the room, 
trying to find a solution to save Yuki. Johnny Walker, the new prop for Zoe, enters the living room, looking at Arnold Schwarzenegger pinned down by the huge crucifix and says, Whatever happened here, keep walking. So I'm glad that we got Johnny Walker in there at the end to make it even clearer. I think the walking could work without it, but walking, of course, is something that will naturally happen in a lot of your scenes. So making it Johnny Walker at the end makes it very clear. I love the use of the props and how they're positioned properly. So great scene. Excellent. Another one from Alina on Make a Movie for E. The props are a butcher hook, a deformed and very sharp fishing hook, um, the drop, and Mary Poppins' umbrella. Script. The YI actor has imprisoned Mary Poppins in the living room of my childhood home, and she wants, by all means, to find out the secret of Mary Poppins' ability to fly. YI actor has already taken Mary Poppins' umbrella by means of force. By means of, that's the meaning of this character. But she could not use it for flying, so she threw it down on their right side. Now the YI actor tries, thinks to try finding out the secret by means of torture. So we got two by means of here, good. So she hangs on the ceiling a huge butcher hook, a deformed and very sharp uh, fishing hook, thinking to hang out Mary Poppins until she reveals the secret. Mary Poppins is exhausted, loses consciousness, and once and one drop of blood from her wounds falls towards the fishing hook. That's her drop. The moment the drop of blood touches the big hook, Captain Hook appears floating in the air, gently takes Mary Poppins in his arms, then he lifts up through the ceiling, while the hook, the drop of blood, and the umbrella lift up too under his feet. Only by means of love can we fly, he says before disappearing. So we have three uses of by means of. By means of torture is a really common one that we recommended. But by means of love and uh, by means of force we have in there. So great stuff. All the um, all of the various props are in there. And it's in the right location. So excellent stuff. Kent Brackleman on Make a Movie for Sure, which means to begin. Shaq is in my childhood living room. And he looks out the window to see Nu, the goddess of water, uh, which is his representation of the Nu, prop on the left, standing to the left of a gazebo, which is the right side component. So the goddess of water is standing next to the gazebo. Nu says to Shaq, are you ready to start? Uh, what are we beginning? asks Shaq. Nu says, the band we talked about. Holy sure, of course. <laughs> so that's funny because, of course, it's uh, referencing how he might say holy bleep. Um, so, yeah, we've got uh, all the, the components there, starting, beginning, you know, having the opening ceremonies, like things that start, uh, making that clear. You could even have add some traffic lights turning to green. You can have uh, three, two, ones happening, things that indicate start, begin. We can have the green flag uh, waving around like in a... Um, uh, at the beginning of a car race. Good stuff. Next, we have William and Meaty's on Make a Movie for Toe, which means to steal. His actor is his cousin Tyson. Uh, the set is outside the entrance of his OU set. And the props are Chuck Norris and Two-Face from Batman. Chuck and Two-Face were having a discussion when Tyson bumps into them both. Oops, sorry, he says, and carries on walking. But they both check their pockets and realize that they're empty. But before they could look around, Tyson bumped into them again. They both looked down and see that all their clothes are gone, save for a pair of heart-covered boxer shorts. Gotta keep these scenes PG. So, uh, in this case, his cousin Tyson is a master thief, 
and uh, is able to steal. And by the way, the word for thief is xiao tou. So like that's an example of how Chinese will take a, a verb like tou and then add xiao in front of it, xiao tou, to indicate that it's like, okay, we're turning that verb into the noun version of it, which is a thief. So Tyson in this story is a xiao tou. Uh, nice. Excellent scene. Another one from Kent on Make a Movie for Yo. Idina Menzel is walking through the back garden of her of the Luohe Hotel, his um, OU set, when she sees Arwen with a banana in her ear. So that's uh, the Arwen from Lord of the Rings, and uh, the banana is the... Yeah, so we have the Spock ear, the elf ear is one component, and then the banana is the other component. Uh, she, she walks over to her and asks, Arwen, why do you have a banana in your ear? <laughs> It's a normal question that would be asked. Arwen replies, can you say that once again? I couldn't hear you. I have a banana in my ear. <laughs> this is silly. This only works so well because of the Sesame Street skit from my youth with Bert and Ernie. Perfect. So, yeah, if you have a, something like that, that's that's excellent. And, of course, once again is getting it across because yo means again, but it always means it in the past. So um, it's like, you know, uh, uh, it's not referring to I'll do that again. It's like. Oh, it happened again, right? So that's how that works. Once again, excellent. Michael Rochford on Make a Movie for Cha, which means either uh, poor in quality or it can mean uh, like sort of the uh, gap between something, you know, like how big of a gap is there. Charlie S. is inspecting the newly remodeled bathroom at my brother's house in Arlington for compliance. So we're uh, in the bathroom, so fourth tone, excellent. Um, and Arlington for A for ah, and Charlie, of course, CH, so we're good there. Upon entering the room, he finds a sheep leaning on an exposed I-beam chewing on the wiring. He immediately fails the inspection due to such poor craftsmanship and lacking the most basic of safety standards. He then writes my brother a ticket for millions of dollars, calls the health department and animal control because he could not tell the difference between a house and a barn. <laughs> Adding the extra insult to injury at the end there. Excellent stuff. Very clear. And of course, poor craftsmanship and poor um, quality is well uh, expressed in this scene. And I think that uh, as long as that is somewhat emphasized in your mind, then you should be fine. Excellent scene. So we're going to move on to some props here. Some suggested props, and then we'll finish up the podcast there. Alina, on pick a prop for nay, which means inside or internal. She says, the inner demon, Okuyora Cypher, Bleach anime. So, so Alina obviously loves anime, so I don't know that particular character, nor do I know how to pronounce that name properly, but sounds good because it's an inner demon, and this is, means inner. Alina, again, on pick a prop for k. She says, uh, oh, another, another Bleach anime character, Oriheim Inoue. I don't. I'm definitely not pronouncing that correctly. So, another Bleach anime character always encouraging herself and the others. I can do it. You can do it. And, of course, means can. So, uh, that's perfectly fine. William M. Meadey's on Pick a Prop for you, which is, he originally thought of as um, uh, Two-Face, but you can mean to agree. And so, he says Jim Carrey from the movie Yes Man. So, of course, because he has to agree to everything. William and Meadey's on pick a prop for, well, this is a, this is a prop that doesn't ha necessarily have a pronunciation, but it has to do with silk. And so he says, 
Going with a giant silkworm for a further degree of separation, another memorable choice would be the Alaskan bullworm from SpongeBob. Sure, absolutely. Tyson on Pick a Prop for one. How about Boy George from the Culture Club? A very memorable character. So, uh, yeah, I haven't seen uh, Culture Club, but I do, I've heard of Boy George, and this is an example of like where cultural tropes become so strong. Like, you know, at the point of recording this, uh, there was a couple of, a couple of days ago, um, there was a tragic passing of Kobe Bryant. And that was another example where I was like, okay, how, uh, you know, if, if you don't know anything about basketball, you still know who Kobe Bryant is because he's just, he's just permeated the culture. And so it doesn't matter if you're a basketball fan or not. And so in this case, you know, I don't know the culture club and, and I, I never saw it, but I, I've heard of Boy George and I can imagine Boy George. So that's an example of a cultural trope that manages to permeate the culture, even though I haven't seen the specific source material. Kent Brockelman on Pick a Prop for Yo! Ernie from Sesame Street can think of him as Bert's right-hand man and their great skit with the banana in the ear. So yeah, nice. We have two references to the banana in the ear. Burton only sketched today from Kent. And so, um, yeah, so like that's an example, good right hand man uh, idea, because yo used to mean right hand. And so we say, okay, right hand man. Tyson on pick a prop for foo, Daddy Warbucks. Sure, absolutely, because foo means uh, father from fu uh, chin or fu mu. William Amidi's on pick a prop for a, a component that is, it means an ancient monkey. It's sort of an ancient component. Uh, Going with the idea of the monkey Abu from Aladdin sounds like a good choice, as well as Caesar from Planet of the Apes, Boots from Dora the Explorer, and King Kong. So good uh, list of monkeys to potentially use it for this prop. Excellent. Alina and pick a prop for Liang. Comedy actors Stan Laurel and Oliver Hardy, I guess because they're a pair. Liang means a uh, uh, pair or, or two. And so, you know, when you... There could be lots of different um, pairs of people, you know, Siegfried and Roy, uh, Penn and Teller. These are possible uh, props you could have to represent Liang. Tyson on pick a prop for the left side of Na, which is really just a modified version of Yue for Moon. And he says maybe an old school ergonomic joystick for video games because it does kind of look like you could fit your fingers in between those little, uh, the, the left side of the component, you know, if it were a joystick. And that's actually, that might be the best uh, example of a component we could use for that I've heard so far. That's excellent. And then finally, we have uh, William Amides on pick a prop uh, for yet another um, component that doesn't have a pronunciation, but he says a pair of koi wind catchers attached to a pole because this is sort of a straight line with two uh, boxes sticking out of it and uh, as illustrated in the picture from the following link so he he puts a link to a wikipedia article that has these koi wind catchers he says or perhaps more obscurely the flag of nepal as it is also it also has that general shape so yeah the flag of nepal is not just your normal rectangle so that's uh that's great awesome well Thanks so much, everybody, for your great submissions this week. We'll see you again uh, very soon. And uh, thanks, as always, for checking out MandarinBlueprint.com and spreading the word about the course. And we'll see you next week.